Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have only walked on water one time in my life. It was years and years ago, and some friends and I, who had been at a camp for two weeks, um, decided we'd take a little vacation after the camp. And so we went to New Braunfels and floated on the Comal River. At that time, no one knew about the Comal River. It was a quiet secret that the people of New Braunfels uh, had kind of kept to themselves. But my friends knew about it, and so we got some inner tubes, and we floated down the Comal River. And, and we decided to go a little further than the more uh, manicured houses and lawns. We, we went a little bit further down the Comal River. Now, among those who were with us on this floating trip was a friend of mine, Elaine Eli. She was from Hearn, Texas, only she called it Hearn. And uh, she is in the lead inner tube. And all of a sudden, she yells out, snack, snack. And, and all, every last one of us walked on water that day. We walked on water to the bank and pushed each other aside to get up there, and other people fell back in the water. Yeah, we don't know, but I'm pretty sure that snack was scared to death, too. Well, on Thursday night at our evening prayer and conversation, we talked about this scripture that I just read, and Reverend Carrie Smith, who was online with us, said, well, she had been to the Sea of Galilee, and that there was a place there where they had constructed stepping stones so that you could actually walk on the water on the Sea of Galilee and have your picture made there walking on water. Then, as I was reading about this passage, I found it interesting how often we try to explain the miraculous in scriptures. We try to find a way to give natural or scientific reasons for what happened in a miracle which is mystical. And there really isn't a natural or scientific explanation for it. Well, for example, I read an article from the World Net Daily, which is a sort of right-leaning news site. As it turns out, a Florida State University researcher believes that he has a natural explanation for the biblical account of Jesus' miraculous walk on the surface of the Sea of Galilee, ice. He says, as a professor of oceanography, that he has theorized that a rare combination of optimal water and atmospheric conditions resulted in a unique localized freezing phenomenon called Springs Ice. A frozen patch of ice floating on the surface of the lake would be difficult to distinguish from the surrounding unfrozen water, making it appear as if Jesus were walking on water, according to this theory. Here is what he said. As natural scientists, we simply explain that unique freezing processes have probably happened in that region only a handful of times during the last 12,000 years. We leave it to others to answer the question of whether or not our research explains the biblical account. 
Isn't that fascinating? That we make such an effort to make sense of something, this mystery. Well, whether you believe that theory or not, this story of Jesus walking on the water and calling Peter to join him has some things to teach us. As I told you on Thursday night during our evening prayer and conversation, we read this scripture. And then I asked, um, who, who on this call this evening has known what it's like to be in the midst of a storm? Now, I didn't qualify whether that was a physical storm like a hurricane or a tornado, or whether that was an emotional storm like a relationship failing or uh, someone that you love having a health problem, or whether it was uh, a global problem like a global storm, like the climate changing. Every single person on that call raised their hand. And I imagine that if I raised the question for all of us here today, the response would be the same. We are all in a storm right now. In fact, we're in the midst of a tsunami of storms. We all know what it is like to be deeply afraid. And some of us know that fear and that reality more than others. It is only now that some of us have been woke to the reality of the oppression of our black and Latinx and other marginalized people, their experience every day simply by being a person of color. Yes, we all know what it is like to live in the midst of storms, and some of us more than others. We all know what it is to be deeply afraid. So on Thursday night, we did this little exercise of reading the scripture that I would preach on today, and then I asked some questions that are typical of a process that is called Lectio Divina, or divine reading. The first question is, what word or phrase caught your attention in the reading today? The second is, what word or phrase touches your life right where you are right now? The third question is, from what I've heard and shared, what do I believe God wants me to do or be? And the fourth is, is God inviting me to change in any way? Perhaps as we consider the scripture, these are questions that we all need to ask ourselves. So recalling what we just heard, I remind you that just prior to the reading we heard today, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. It is a miraculous event with unequaled proportions. And so after this moment, Jesus instructs the disciples to get in the boat and go back to the other side of the sea, which they do. And he remains and enters into prayer, seeking this intimate relationship with God. Now, while the disciples are crossing, a storm arises, which is, by the way, a common occurrence in the Sea of Galilee, that storms will whip up very suddenly without people expecting them. And this, we think, is what happened with the disciples. And that storm threatened to engulf their boat and 
they would sink and likely die. So who among us today? I mean, who among us has not felt like what it felt for them to be engulfed by a storm? You know. You know what it feels like to be engulfed by a storm, not of your making. So what is your story? What is making you deeply afraid in this moment? The disciples spend the better part of an anxious night navigating the waves. And the story says that the wind was against them. In fact, one of the people online with us Thursday night said, that line's what stood out to me. The wind was against them. Well, do you know what it's like to have the wind against you? Have you had that day when you got up in the morning and you spilled your coffee? And then after that, you went to pick something up and tripped over your computer cord? And then after that, you got in your car and got pulled over by a police officer because your blinker didn't signal the right way you were going? I mean, it's just, it's like the whole world is against you, right? And I'm making light of it, but I know many people who have whole weeks and months where they feel like the world is against them. Everything you thought was in your favor suddenly is blowing south. It is here in the story in these early hours of the morning that Jesus strides across the water to meet them. This is an important move in this narrative because it not only is the breathtaking moment of Jesus walking on water, the miraculous event of a human being walking on the water, but that Jesus recognizes their distress. And not just recognize it, but feels it. And comes to meet them. Doesn't stay on the shore. Comes to meet them in the midst of their storm. But mistaking Jesus for a wave-walking ghost the disciples grow even more alarmed as he draws near. Now, listen. Listen to what happens then. The, the scripture says immediately. When, when Jesus hears this, it's a ghost, immediately, the scripture says, immediately. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them. Now, I want to ask you this. Have you ever had an experience of God drawing near to you and thinking it was a ghost? Or maybe it's better put, God has drawn near to you and you just wouldn't believe it. Or God has drawn near to you and you have pushed God aside. God has drawn near to you and you wouldn't let yourself believe it. Okay, maybe not a ghost, but perhaps in your fear, you're not able to see, hear, understand the presence of God in the midst of your living. But Jesus responds to their fear immediately, it says, and reassures them and comes to them. Jesus' encouraging words give Peter the courage to ask if he might join Jesus out on the water. At first confident in the invitation, Peter soon, as he moves away from the boat, realizes that the waves are still there, the storm is still raging, the wind is still blowing. He gets distracted and fearful, and like the rock of his name, begins to sink. It is then that again we get the words immediately. 
immediately Jesus reaches and catches him and holds him up and brings him out of the storm and they get into the boat and the storm ceases. And the disciples, just like in the psalm we heard Reverend Nan Baker read to us this morning, praise God, praise God. They praise God in the depths of the sea saying, surely you, you're the child of God. Which is interesting when you think about it, isn't it? They have just been with Jesus, where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus then women and children. They have seen a miracle takes place in in front of their very eyes, and yet in this moment of extreme crisis, they forget. Isn't that our story too? You know, if if I was asked you to write a spiritual autobiography where you made account of the times you have encountered God and what God has done in your life, you would, I think, be amazed at what you would write. And yet, we get into a crisis, we get into a tsunami of crises as we are right now, and we forget. We forget this God who is with us all along. So part of what strikes me in this passage about is what it reveals about us. I know I I have often overlooked the presence of God when things are going well. I mean, you know, I chalk it up for my success. I chalk it up for what I do well. I chalk it up to how I'm managing everything on my plate. And then when something happens, I, I cry out to God from the deepest places of my fears. I'm not sure why this is. I just think part of it is that we begin to believe we are the center of the universe. We are in control of everything instead of relying and keeping our focus on the God who wants to breathe courage and hope into us. And and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful and managing your time and managing all that comes your way, but if we lose sight of this God of our being, this God who wants us to flourish, this God who wants us to be stable and to grow in relationship with God. We, we lose sight of that. We confuse safety and stability with abundant life. When abundant life can come to us in the worst of our circumstances, Think about the history of the United States. Think about the African people who were brought over on slave ships, which were a horrible, horrible injustice. And think about those slaves then being separated by families, just given to people who bought them and broken apart. And think about them. And yet, in, in this awful, awful circumstance, those same slaves offered us some of the greatest hymns of our faith, hymns of hope and promise and light and love of a God who is steadfast and true. But this story doesn't just tell us about ourselves. It also tells us about our God. I'd say, more importantly, that we 
we get this chance to realize how God and Jesus reaches out and raises Peter up out of the storm and, and that God responds to those kinds of needs. Notice that Jesus actually commanded the disciples to cross the sea on their own without him, trusting that they could navigate the sea. And while many commentators want to blame Peter for doing a foolish thing by asking to come out onto the water, I think Jesus was probably pleased by that, right? I mean, isn't that an indication of a deep desire to be in relationship? And then listen to what Jesus says. First, Jesus urges them to take heart. Secondly, he reveals his presence with them and among them and for them. For while we translate what he says to the disciples as, it is I, no, I mean, the Greek is more succinct. And the Greek says, I am. Does that remind you of Moses in the burning bush? And Moses saying, well, who am I supposed to say sent me to you? And, and the response is, tell them I am sent, sent you. I am, I was, I will always be. I mean, neither the disciples or Matthew's listeners would mistake this pronouncement. I am, so do not be afraid. Third, Peter walks across the water and then loses courage, and as he sinks, cries out, Lord, save. And do you know what Jesus' name actually means? Jesus' name actually means Lord, save. The very identity of Jesus is in his name, the Lord who saves. Fourth, having revealed his presence and identity, Jesus then encourages the disciples once more, to leave their fear behind and live wholehearted lives of faith or trust. You of little faith, why did you doubt? It's an expression of tenderness, inviting them to, to live lives of courage. So uh, given all that, I wonder what might motivate us to step out of the boat we're in right now, rocked by the tsunami of the storms of our living Oh, not like me and my friends on the, on the Comal River, sc scrambling for the, to run away from the snake. And not like those who create steps in the sea or think that it was an ice formation, a false illusion. Rather, let us live the miracle of Emmanuel, God with us, the one who saved. And consider even for a moment what our lives might be lived like if we lived wholehearted lives. What would it be like to live wholehearted lives? I mean, I just love that word, the very speaking of it, wholehearted, that we live wholehearted lives. I've told this story before, but I want to remind you that the poet David White was a social worker, and he was working long hours, many hours a week more than he probably should have, and he is stressed out, and he goes to the break room and sticks his head in the break room where his colleagues are, and he says, um, do you know where David is? And he was the only David who worked there. He was so stressed that he'd lost his whole identity, and so he sits down with his mentor, who is a Benedictine monk, David Spindelrost, and 
father, Stindelroth, says to him, well, David, the remedy for stress and is not rest. It is wholeheartedness. We have a chance to live wholehearted lives because that is what God desires for us. God calls us to stretch and grow and live into the abundant life God has for us, trusting that God is always with us. And there will be times, as there are now, when we may wonder why we have tried to cross the sea of very rough water on our own. And there may be times when we may feel alone as God calls us out of our comfort zone. And there will still be moments when we may have wished very much that we had stayed in the boat. But no matter where you find yourself in this tsunami of storms we are experiencing, I remind you, God is with you. God will, if you are willing, reveal God's self to you. And God will call you forth into a wholehearted life faith and trust and courage and hope. Thanks 